0: up in a house where you made play-doh any of you guys that's the awesomest isn't it because it was for whatever reason play-doh's like 49 cents if you go to walmart if you're an adult and you haven't been in the toy aisle lately it's really good they're doing good things with toys it's great but play-doh play-doh's like super cheap it's so cheap and yet in our house we rarely had play-doh maybe it was because we were bad play-doh players and we mixed it all and whatever but my mom would make Play-Doh, and so we'd have this gigantic, it felt like just a swimming pool of Play-Doh every once in a while, and it was so great. So there's something about Play-Doh. Um, in an article, I don't know if you read Relevant Magazine, I think I aged out of it, but um, in earlier this year in January, there was an article by um, Shane Pruitt, and the title of the article was, Why Do So Many People Talk About Jesus But Not Read the Bible? And here's how Shane begins that. He says, my wife Casey and I have five children. Our oldest two are both girls and they love to play with Play-Doh. They have all the colors and all the tools necessary to mold, shape, build, anything their vivid imaginations come up with. So now's this moment of Shane's confession. He says, I love to play with them and create as well. He said, it reminds him of his childhood, but his daughters will often put him into a timeout when he mixes the colors to create new ones. And it, what they yell at him is, Daddy, you're ruining it. So the reason he says we all like Play-Doh as children is because we kind of believed that we could make just about anything we wanted with it, and we'd mold and shape and bend, and then if we didn't like it, you could just smash it and start over, right? And that was the fun of it. And see, Shane says, I believe this is the same reason why so many people talk about People love to talk about Jesus, but don't actually read the Bible. In fact, we've all heard people say stuff like that. I love Jesus, but I don't like the Bible. Or I have deep respect for Jesus, but I don't agree with the Bible. And goes on and he says, Is it possible that we're worshiping a Plato Jesus? Meanwhile, the main reason we don't have an issue with Jesus is because it's a Jesus that we've created in our own image. We'll shape and mold and bend him to be what we want him to be. And then the very moment that particular Plato Jesus no longer appeases us, we roll him up and we start over. We create a different Jesus, more to our liking. And when we do this, we're not worshiping the Jesus of the Bible, but rather a Jesus we've created in our own minds. It's such an important question this morning, and I know to a room we've gathered, we gather week after week around the Bible. This isn't a church where you're going to get a snippet of a scripture verse. In fact, we're probably going to spend too much time in a passage and, and go long or whatever. Um, but, but there's always that temptation to sing about Jesus, to talk about Jesus, to have dialogue or even discussion or coffee and whatever about Jesus, and Maybe we find ourselves in moments or seasons where it's been a while since we've been in Scripture. The question that this raises, and to me this is an important question, and it's this, which Jesus? We could spend a lot of time this morning and talk through all the different Jesuses that are out there. There's social justice Jesus that's only about uh, solving the problems of the world that others have created that... um, that he fights for, and and Jesus does fight for the voiceless. He does fight for the powerless. He is on the side of the fatherless, the orphan, and the widow. widow. But that isn't the primary reason why God took on flesh and blood to come among us. There are others that Jesus is just the great philosopher, or he's the great teacher, or he's the great uh, moral educator, or he's the rabble-rouser. Or he's just an accessory that gets thrown into fashion from time to time to shake things up. There are a lot, a lot, a lot of Jesuses in our culture and academic circles. It was popular a few years ago to talk about the historical Jesus. And not the Jesus of the Bible because they've, uh, you know, adjusted that and bent that and made him into things. But who was Jesus away from the miracles, away from all of those kinds of things, the historical Jesus. Which Jesus are we talking about when we talk about Jesus? And there's a ton of rabbit trails.
1: Who was Jesus? Who is Jesus? So there's four
0: primary, original sources that paint the picture of Jesus. And more than just painting a picture of Jesus, they were written to introduce us to Jesus who the Jesus of Scripture. So we have Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, these four biographies that we often call the four Gospels or the four uh, um, these four different books that we've collected together in the Bible. So the Way of Jesus, the series that we've been in, the last couple of weeks we looked at prayer, um, what did Jesus say about prayer? What did he invite us to pray? How did he invite us to pray? Why did that maybe uh, catch people off guard then? This week we're, we're changing gears, and we're still looking at this way of Jesus, but we're this morning going to spend a couple weeks now in the way of Scripture. So there's this part of me that wants to like, and actually for most of the week, I thought here we were going to insert Bible project video um and actually let me jump to the end because i might then if i go along it won't matter so here's um we may use this next week but i don't know for sure if we're gonna or not if your phone's set on autoplay and you qr this we won't like so the bible project has i don't know i think it's a 64-ish part you guys did this right or in it or started it or got around it thought about it um so the the first in this, there's a four part video on what is the Bible, and so the first one's phenomenal. Talks about the Bible and what it is. It's this ancient collection of sacred texts written over centuries by different uh, men and um, different folks, and. In what it was intended for and how it was used, and all of those kind of things, there's this part of me that wants to start talking about the Bible and do that. Like, let's have just a, a, a conversation about what is the Bible and why is the Bible and how do we use the Bible. Next week, we're going to talk a bit about what is the Bible, how do we read the Bible, what did Jesus do with the Bible. I think it's important in these four areas of prayer, of scripture, of community, and of serving, not just to say, here's what I think you should do. But it's important for us always to rewind back in, especially in these massive themes, and go, what did Jesus do with fill in the blank? And as it comes to Scripture next week, we're going to see that in the opening stories of his ministry, Jesus does some very specific things with Scripture. So we're going to look at that next week. But if you're newish to this, and you're like, the Bible, I don't, I don't know about the Bible. Um, the Bible is one of the hardest books you will ever read. The Bible is not an answer book. The Bible is not a rule book. The Bible is not the source of all truth and knowledge for anything. E equals MC squared is not in the Bible. The Bible is not a flip to it and find out what you need to do with your life that day. I grew up in settings where things were said all the time to try and break down the barrier to say, just open up the Bible. It's, it's, it's God's answers book for your life. Maybe you've heard that. Or the Bible is one of the easiest books to read. And, but if you've ever spent any time in the Bible, you know this. You know this. It's confusing, the cultures are different, it's written in languages different than ours, there's different translations, which translation is the right one. People get into battles, split churches over that. Back in the day with like martyrs and Wycliffe and Bible translators, but even still today folks like go to task on people who aren't like this translation or that translation. So there's this part of me that wants to get into that. How did we get the Bible? What did it look like? Why are some in? Why are some not in? If that kind of gets your juices going and whatever, I it's a five minute and then it leads to three more five minutes. It's a great intro to this. We might touch on a little bit of this next week. But the last thing I want to do is just take Scripture and put it on the, the operating table here in our, like, um, you know, intro to medicine or whatever class as we're becoming doctors. And we begin to talk about this lifeless item and object in the room that we can dissect and that we can atomize and that we we can talk about genre and about all of these things. Those are important and those have significance and those have meaning. But the place we need to start this morning is... Well, actually, we could start just about anywhere this morning, and that's a little bit of what's so overwhelming to this. But listen, church, this isn't a, hey, you stink at reading the Bible, okay? This isn't a, we will be so much more spiritual. We will have bigger offerings and more salvations and more baptisms and more stuff if we would just read the Bible more, okay? I've heard folks talk about the Bible in that kind of a way. And believe it or not, it's not really that
1: inspiring. Oh, okay. See, the Bible's a lot of things,
0: but what it isn't is this checklist for us. In the most massive of ways, the Bible is the space where we most clearly come into a knowing of who Jesus is. And that, that is the point of this this morning. And so this isn't about just one more way to read the Bible or a technique or do this and print it off and underline and highlight and whatever. This morning is this reminder to us that this, all of it, all of the pages, even in the spaces where it doesn't seem like Jesus is being talked about or revealed, it is movement to get us to Jesus and then it makes the most sense through the lens of who Jesus is to us. God in flesh and blood coming to rescue us to do what we couldn't do on our own. If you've got your Bible this morning, we are in the book of Acts, chapter 17. This is one of my all-time favorite stories. I know I say that every week. This time I'm not kidding. This is the first time I uh, can remember someone teaching, teaching this. It was a guy named John Fisher. And he was uh, doing chapel at North Central at, at college. Um, and, and they had brought him in uh, to speak on culture and to speak on Christianity and where those two things overlapped. And as he was sharing through this story of Paul and the city of Athens, my brain just went, why have I never thought this before? Why haven't I seen this? Why hasn't anybody talked about this? How does this... I don't know if that's going to happen for you this morning. I'm not John Fisher. Um, but let's dig in on this story because, well, I think it's amazing. So the quick context on this is we are a generation away from the life and ministry of Jesus, Okay? Um, we're at the beginning, or in the beginning of the book of Acts, was was written by the same guy who wrote the book of Luke. There are two volume set. Um, At the beginning of the book of Acts, Jesus is ascended back to heaven. It's after the crucifixion, after the resurrection, shortly. um, And then Jesus leaves his disciples. He ascends back to heaven. He sits at the right hand of the Father. And he's commissioned his followers then and us still to take this message of the kingdom of heaven and to go out everywhere to everyone and tell them the good news that God loves them. That he sent his son to rescue them. That he invites them into relationship with him. And the followers do what doesn't always happen. They actually do it. And so it's off to the races, and the church begins to build momentum, at first in Jerusalem, and then it begins to spread. And as it begins to spread, it very quickly begins to face pushback and persecution. And one of the guys who does this is a guy named Saul that we pick up and know as Paul. And he has this incredible encounter with Jesus on his way, actually, to arrest some Christians who are having a house church. And he encounters the risen Jesus. And it changes his life, and it spills down through history, actually, to us sitting here today. And so then from that moment, Paul gives his full life to following Jesus and to telling this story. He becomes one of the first missionaries, someone who goes on to tell others the Jesus message. And years later, we come to this in Acts chapter 17. Paul coming into the city of Athens, which historically is a really super important city. Athens, if you wanted to go visit old places with cool ruins, Athens is the place to go. Athens, most scholars say is the center of democracy. Athens is the place we're gonna see. There are two uh sites in this, and this is the one that's significant for us, the Areopolis and and up here is the Acropolis and the city of Athens, it had all of it had all of the hits if you wanted to go to a city and do all of the temples. I did a quick Wikipedia just to see this morning before. There's 21 surviving temples or altars in Athens today if you were to go. There's the big ones. The temple of Zeus, the temple of Athena, the temple of Ares, the temple of Nike, the temple, the temple, the temple, the temple in Athens. This was a place not only of philosophy. It's the home of Plato. It's the home of Aristotle. It's also the place of great... uh, um, temples and places to worship the old gods. It is uh, a city-state. Even Athens uh, had lost its governmental authority, but had still massive, significant influence into, even into the Roman era and even into many of the things that we debate and talk about even still today, Athens, Athens has affected. And so Paul has done missionary travels, and he's gone all over, and he's done, and he's established, and he's a planted churches. And now we find him coming into the city of Athens. Acts chapter. Uh, here we go. Acts chapter 17, beginning in verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. In Twenty one temple still there today So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and god-fearing Greeks as well as out into the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him Some of them asked What is this babbler trying to say Others remarked He seems to be advocating foreign gods they said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. And then he took him, or they took him, and they brought him to a meeting place of the Areopagus, that that hill below the Acropolis. And there they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting? You're bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we'd like to know what they mean. And then Luke helps us see why. All the all the Athenians, and the foreigners who lived there, spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. So, in this book that we've been going back to each week, recapturing the wonder by Mike Cosper, um, that the reason we keep coming back to it that it's such it 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 actually in a good way messed me up. And reading it, and I got the Audible, was working on a project in the basement and, and listened to it straight through, I think it was four hours. And found myself just going, oh man, oh, oh boy, okay. And see, it's easy to go along and think that everything's fine and good and and realize that even as a committed follower of Christ, I'm singing the songs, I'm reading the book, I'm talking the talk, that there are places where I that we drift that when we're really honest we don't actually expect god to do something in this area and i know we're gathered on a sunday on a sunday in a room like this folks expect god to or to be moved in the singing of a song or in the reading of a text or in a quote or in a picture or, or a whatever but in these other places and areas of our life, listen, we've seen too much, we've experienced too much disappointment, we've had too many questions, go unanswered. Or if we're honest, we've we really l- answers left unsearched for. Into that space, Cosper writes, he says, it's not a world entirely without God or without religion. Rather, it's a world where God and religion are support- Yeah, I went over this again and again at my desk this morning to pronounce it right. You know what it is. You can believe whatever you want so long as you don't expect it to affect your everyday experience. Believe whatever you want about God or the afterlife, but trust in science and technology to explain everything about the real world. See, the world the missionary Paul was talking to in ancient Athens not very much like our world. We've got the difference of 2,000 long years in between us, and yet our world actually isn't so different from then. The philosophy of our age was shaped by the philosophers back then. This attempt to speak meaning into life, to ask the big questions. And it, I love that Luke just throws this in. Like, hey, you don't know what Athens is? don't here's what Athens is all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas that isn't at all like our time that has no context no nothing at all like now in fact it was a whole it was a whole like uh not just a lifestyle of like I'm just a forever student like you could just travel and give speeches and get paid for your speeches. And so people would come in and they'd give their talk, and then if they liked that talk, they'd get some money out of that talk. And and so Paul gives this message. He's giving it in the synagogue like he always does. He's giving it to those who should know Jesus as the Jewish Messiah. Those who had a context, who knew the stories, who knew the scriptures, who knew it. That's Whenever Paul goes to a new place on his travels, either recorded or not recorded, he goes to, he goes into the synagogue and speaks to those who should go, oh, actually I know what you're talking about, this makes sense. But then after, and sometimes it even records this, that sometimes it's just like you're crazy, other times it's like this violent rejection of him. Then he goes to those who have no context. So this is the perfect picture of our time. No cable news back then, but it sure sounds like cable news. And TED Talks. See, has anyone ever really changed something in your life because you listen to a good TED Talk? Let's be honest. Like, I love a good TED Talk. In fact, sometimes at lunch, like, I'll just scroll and search and find one, and okay, tell me about robots. Or tell me about black holes or tell me about these things that live at the bottom of the ocean that have no eyes but could change the world, or whatever. Like, just TED Talk me. I want to be smarter. But there are very few of those TED Talks that on the other side of them am I ever like, oh my word, I need to change this in my life. Maybe you're different than me. Maybe you have changed something in your life because of a TED Talk, but I'm willing to bet most of us, even on those ones that we super loved, were like. That was great. What's next? And that is the world of Athens. It's the world I live in. It's the world they lived in. It's the world we all inhabit.
1: This where, or maybe a TED Talk's not your thing, but that documentary or that, seldom does it lead to us actually living
0: different. So Athens is the center of philosophy. It's this massive influence on the ancient world and all the way back to us. It's full of temples and places of worship to the old gods. Now picture Paul walking into that place. Now I don't know in your imagination what role Paul fills. In the church, he's a giant. In the church... He's the most educated of our speakers. He's the, he's the one. He wrote the book of Romans. I mean, read the book of Romans in one sitting and you go, this guy could walk into any room and hold his own. But walking into this place where just talking, talking, talking was the profession and what they were known for. Part of me wonders if there was at any point in Paul where he thought to himself, what do I have to bring into this setting? How am I going to influence this? I'm just Paul. The things that are make me who I am have no weight, no merit, no pedigree here in Athens. And as he's walking around the city, he goes from temple to temple to temple to temple, or even if he just looked in the window on them, he saw idol after, idol after idol after idol after altar after altar after altar. And it says that, well, Luke says that he, he was disturbed, greatly distressed, is what the NIV says. He has issues. Now, this is free, and we won't beat this horse, but this is an example to us. Sometimes we find ourselves in this setting. Follower of Christ, you're all in on this. You look out into the world around you and you see temple after temple after temple, idol after idol after idol, and you see that this is not what God intended and that it is destructive and that it is all of these things and you are
1: greatly distressed. Anyone else had that in the last five days? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, if you're engaged... You see it, and you probably are. And then what
0: do you do with that? In our outrage-shame culture, it's do something right now. It's what Paul does with this is an interesting example to me as a follower of Christ. So here we go. Let's keep going. Verse 22. So he's telling them all. He's They bring him in. They want to know. They bring him into the area. So then Paul stood up in the middle of the meeting and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God, so that you are ignorant of the very thing that you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all nations that they should inhabit the whole earth and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands, God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. Quote, For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own prophets, Paul says to the group, your prophets, your poets, have said. Quote, we're his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such such
1: ignorance, but he commands all people everywhere to repent. Oh, thanks, sorry. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice
0: by the man he has appointed. He has given proof to this to everyone by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, hey, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysus. A member of the Areopagus, also known, or also a woman named Demiris,
1: and a number of others. This is so great. Here's the thing that's great about this. Did you notice what Paul didn't do? He didn't turn them back to the words of the prophet Isaiah.
0: He didn't turn them back to Genesis. He didn't turn them back to the Exodus. He didn't turn them back to Moses or the law. He didn't turn them into the Psalms or to King David. He didn't talk about Babylon. He didn't talk about the temple or exile or return from exile. He doesn't do anything Jewish. In fact, did Paul even mention Jesus by name? No. Wait a minute. You can't give a sermon and not say Jesus, and yet
1: Paul knows who he's speaking to. This is beautiful. Paul meets
0: these not-Jews right where they are with the good news of Jesus because Paul was so saturated with the story of Scripture revealed in the Bible That he could tell the Jesus story and not need to
1: make it only a Jewish story. Well, that's me. That was supposed to be silence.
0: So Paul tells the story of Jesus and he doesn't need to have it be a Jewish story. No one there would have been impressed by Paul's Jewish pedigree his knowledge of the Hebrew scriptures, his, his uh, Jewish calendar. None of that mattered in that space. And rather than try and impress them and rewind them back to the story of Genesis 1 and then bring them up to speed, he meets them in their religious system. He knows that the God of scripture, he knows that God meets these folks right where they are. Now, maybe this isn't that big a deal. Jay, let's just talk about the Bible. Actually, the stuff that you were saying in the beginning sounds a lot more interesting than just this random story from the book of Acts. What does this actually have
1: to do with the Jesus, the way of Jesus and the idea of Scripture? Next week, we're going to talk about that. What did
0: Jesus do with the Scriptures? But see, the point of the Bible isn't the Bible, The point of the Bible isn't the Bible. The point of the Bible is to introduce us to Jesus. Church, listen, I love the nerd stuff when it comes to Scripture. But there are way too many times in my own backstory where I've gotten too excited about how
1: they quarried the rock for the temple and missed who the temple was for. That I've
0: nerded out on some historical context of scripture because I was raised in a church that never talked about that. But because I was so excited about that, I thought that was the point of the thing. The point of the Bible isn't the Bible. The point of the Bible is Jesus. And in some circles, the Bible has actually become the 22nd altar of Athens that we worship the Bible. Sola Scriptura, to the point of not even encountering Jesus with this. I want to talk about history. I want to talk about context. I want to talk about Greek or Aramaic. I want to talk about something else rather than Jesus. And so listen, church, the point of the Bible, whether you've been around this 100 years or 15 seconds, the point of reading this is that we get an encounter with Jesus. And all the Norwegians said, hmm. Again, this isn't a, you don't read the Bible enough, so read the Bible more. That's not what this message is this morning. I don't want to talk about what the Bible is is I don't want to talk about how we got the Bible. I don't want to talk about why we don't have the Gospel of Thomas. I don't want to talk about what scroll we found or we didn't find. Jay, that's really weird because you spent half of the sermon on Easter showing us the Isaiah scroll from the Jerusalem Museum. So that's kind of a weird thing. It's way too easy to get stuck and caught
1: and run with that and then have a Jesus of Plato. Because when I'm not in scripture,
0: when I'm not reading it, when I'm not hearing it, when I'm not letting it read me, when
1: in listen, when I'm not responding to it, I'm Plato making Jesus. And some of you know
0: exactly what this is. You've found yourself in seasons where you are dry on the inside or your worldview is beginning to look more and more like everyone else around you. And you can do the, the Bible talk. You can do the theology
1: talk. You can do the Bible project talking. But you're not in it because I've been there.
0: And the danger in this is that we can begin to fool ourselves into thinking that we are somehow doing what we are called to do, and that is not true. I would rather none of us know any of the context of this, and all of us respond to love your neighbor as yourself. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. See, there are things that when we are spending Time in this. Well, Jay, what does it look like to spend time in this? We talked about this a little last week when we said, pray scripture. Don't read this with all of your everything out, like your commentaries and your... Jay, when you're reading this, just read it. Shut off everything else and just read this. And let your imagination light up when you see Paul standing in front of them Paul was so saturated in Scripture, and I don't want this to feel like it's an elite thing. You've got to arrive at this place. Because if that's our takeaway this morning, that's the wrong takeaway. But the point of Scripture is that we spend time in this, and over our life of spending time with this, it so saturates who we are that you can talk about Jesus without having to go to Isaiah without having to go to the Psalms. Paul doesn't even go to the Gospels. Paul goes to their false faith and says, here's what you think it is, but here's actually what it is. What is the point of Scripture? It's that it so saturates who we are that wherever we find ourselves in whatever context in whatever setting in whatever problem in whatever in our whatever we go oh,
1: okay here's what god does in this space Paul says to him therefore since we are god's offspring should we not
0: think that the divine being Or we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone. In that moment, on that space where he's talking to them, did he point at each one of the different temples? Because the super like varsity level temples of Zeus or Athena, man, they're gold. They're just amazing. They're breathtaking. And does he say to them who are so used to talking without any action, Don't think that God is anything like that or that or that or that. Notice, he doesn't talk about the incarnation. He doesn't talk about a virgin birth. He doesn't talk about where does he land with this. He says, you are created to be this person and you are sustained by the God who sustains
1: everything. It's a pretty good place to start. And then from there, He says you are
0: sustained by this, and then he says actually the day when God kind of overlooked all of that and that and that and that, it's done. Here's the bummer on when we hear the gospel. Regardless of what's God going to do with the tribe and the place that hasn't heard the whatever, as soon as you hear, this is applicable to our life. And so that's the bummer on this,
1: and that's the beauty, and that is the demand of respond. There is no, I didn't know.
0: So in the past, he overlooked that kind of stuff, the gold, the silver, the stone, the idols, the temples, the whatever. But see, God actually calls us to repent. And he's set a day in advance when he's going to judge the world by justice through the one that he appointed. That is like, like Paul. You should have said Jesus here. And then you should have said Jesus here.
1: And maybe Luke just assumes that we know. But this is good news
0: with just the reality of what this is. you saying Jesus isn't important here, Jay. What do you, what's going on with that? We put such barriers in front of people. What is the good news here? That God came and he died on a cross and that he rose from
1: the dead. It's amazing. So what does this have to do with the way of Jesus? And what does this have to do with what we
0: do with Scripture? He is the one who gives everything, life and breath and everything else. God did all these things. Paul reminds them and preaches to us so that we would seek him and perhaps reach out to him. And in reaching, find him. For in him we live and move and have our being, as some of our own poets, some of your own poets have said, we are of his offspring. Paul's inviting the Athenians into a relationship with Jesus, not just using proof text from the Bible. He doesn't need to because he's so shaped by the language and the stories and the message and the hope and the reality that's found in Scripture that he can bring that truth into that context. They don't have to come to Paul to meet Paul in his belief in order to meet Jesus. Paul communicates to them the good news without any Old Testament. It blows my mind. What does this mean? We live in a culture that is Athens. Outside, on any given day, we have people in our actual lives who have no context for the Bible, no backstory, no history, no nothing. And if I think I am going to communicate to them the significance of who Jesus is through proof texting from Isaiah or getting them to believe that Genesis was six days or the flood was this certain thing, I'm missing such an incredible thing of what Paul does in the city of Athens. Does revival break out? Is there a grand church in Athens? No, it doesn't. We get a couple names and then a couple more. There are those who believe off of what he said. And so there is responding to the the, the speaking of the good news. Jay, this is a great message, and it's a good message that pastors should listen to, not me. But here's the reality, church. You live in a disenchanted world that doesn't care a lick about whether or not you can go to a certain passage of Scripture to prove something. It's why we talked about not the empty tomb on Easter Sunday, but encountering the risen Savior, If you are in conversation with somebody and they're just not, and all you're doing is flipping the pages in the Bible, what if maybe you pause and you go something more like this? The philosophers of our day say, me first. How's that working for you? Because there is a different way of living than me first, where I am the source of all truth, where my feelings are the highest priority. How's that working for you? And you know because you know Scripture, because you're saturating the stories of the good news and the hope that it is changing who you are, but it's not a proof text that's going to change them. It's a, this is the philosophy that you are living under. How's
1: that working? Because we know The philosophers of our age have said we're all just dust in the wind.
0: And from that line in that pursuit of truth, the guitarist for Kansas, Kerry Livgren, it led him into a process
1: where he encountered Jesus and full-on became a Christian. The philosophy of our age
0: won't save us, but it certainly reveals the emptiness. And so, in essence, Paul's saying, look at all of these temples around you. How's that working for you? And they were so accustomed to just tossing around ideas that they're like, this is great. Let's talk about this again tomorrow. And you know what it doesn't say? Paul did not,
1: it doesn't say he came back the next day and gave him more. Did it? No. He's like, I'm done. This is as much as there is. There's no more good news beyond this that I
0: hope you get your head around. He goes, this is the good news. And this is what you're responsible for. So, church, the way of Jesus is that we soak in this. Jay, this is the worst message on the Bible ever. You didn't even say, like, how much to read the Bible. Okay, get up in the morning and read the Bible or read it before you go to bed. Do a Bible plan or don't. Listen to the Bible or if you're dyslexic or listen, yeah, listen to it if you're dyslexic and read it if you have an attention span. Read a translation that you'll read. Like, strip away all the mystery on this and just like start bending the pages on your Bible.
1: Highlight, underline, mess it up, do it wrong, get in there. What did Jesus say? Who is He? Jan, where to start?
0: Start in Mark. You don't like Mark? Start in John. You want to be weird? Start in Revelation. It doesn't matter. Because you know who shows himself in Revelation? Jesus. We fixate on the other things, the timing, the beasts, the seals, the trumpets, the. Who's the
1: star of the show? Jesus walking among the lampstands. Church, God has most clearly revealed himself to us in this, in our scrolling, is rewriting the plasticity of our brains.
0: Take a long soak without any distractions in the Word. And maybe you don't have space to do that every day, then fine, pick one day this week and guard out a half hour and do it there. One of my most fun moments every week is is, I'm going to, Tony comes up to me. You're reading through the Bible. And you come up to me and you're like, hey, I just finished Judges and that was messed up.
1: And I'm like, yeah, it is. Like, and it's not just you. Like, Others in the life of the church and back when
0: I youth pastored and whatever, like conversations with folk, one of the things I love hearing is, Jerry, I'm reading this and boy, it's doing this in my head or whatever. Not because then that's space for me to come in and pastor or speak some truth to or whatever, because you know what? Then that is space for me to go, here's what I'm reading.
1: I love that.
0: The point of this is that well, that we encounter Jesus, and we most clearly encounter him in Scripture. Shane Pruitt, the Plato guy from the beginning, says that the Jesus of the, ba- of the Bible will regularly disrupt our lives, call us to difficult things, and to stand in opposition to our personal preferences. He often does the opposite of what we think he should do. Let's be honest, his holiness His demand upon us to deny ourselves and his commandments to love others can get pretty annoying in our pursuit of happiness. The Jesus of the Bible challenges our indulgences. He contests the egotistical fine art of looking out for number one. So our natural inclination is to shape Jesus into something more palatable to our personal opinions and preferences. Left to our natural devices, we don't want to be created in God's image. We want Him to be created in ours. We don't want Him to be the one in control. We want to be in control. Can you get into heaven struggling with this? Yes, that's not this. Are we being shaped into the full person of who He's created you to be when we are crafting God in our own image? Not at all. And so church in the same way that we need to grow into and continue to grow into and continue to become people of prayer in our following pursuit of jesus
1: let us be people of scripture not even just the bible but of scripture
0: is that different is that whatever Too many of us have PTSD when it comes to thinking about reading the Bible. If you, when you realized, oh man, two weeks on the Bible, had a bit of a, can I just give you a quick, just a nudge? Go buy a new Bible. Go buy a different translation. If you're super smart and you've been in ESV or or the New American Standard or some other, go buy an NIV or it's a living. Or how about, how about a new living? Or if you've only, then, then just go buy a new one. Is there magic in buying
1: a new Bible? Yes, actually, there is. It's not magic. But there is this, you've
0: got skin in the game. And you want to begin to build a
1: relationship with something. Last thought. Parents, mom,
0: one of the things that I have that is my most cherished possession in my house is my dad's leather Bible. I actually stole it from him. He didn't do a big ceremony and give it to me. I just took it when I went to Bible college. And it was King James, and so I was real weird right from start. But I love that Bible. It's a brown leather. It's fallen apart. It's underlined. It's highlighted. He has his thoughts in it. As you are interacting with this, I have a Bible for each one of my kids. And originally the idea was I was going to spend a year and go through it and make notes and questions, and then I was going to give it to them. And it's kind of taken on that form and kind of not. Some of you are still in a setting where the kids are there and they're little and they're. Do that. Legacy, give that. Others, you're like, no kids, or the kids are gone, or the whatever. Sorry, nothing cool for you at the end. No, I'm just kidding. But you get the idea. Interact with this in such a way. Are any else of you weird that when you write a journal, you kind of think a 100 years from now someone's going to read this? Is that just me? I must read too many old dead people's journals. But there is a bit of me going through and reading and processing that I am in also a prayer that one of my kids who's going to get this Bible, it's going to affect and impact them as well. And spouses, maybe it's an exchange. Or you're flying solo, you've got someone in mind, I don't know. Interact with it. Let it speak into your life and change you and shape you and saturate all of the things. Because the good Lord knows how many voices in our life want to shape us, want to change us. Let's let it be God's. Heavenly Father, thank you for this moment, for this time, for this day. Lord, I pray just in this story of Paul, who actually didn't do this in any other city except Athens, but God, I pray that this would would in a way shape our our idea of what it means to even interact with your word. God, you haven't called us all to be Paul, to go into the farmer's market in a couple of weeks and like preach it in the corner. But God, we have people in our lives who are sitting in the same places of the Athenians and the foreigners living in the city who love to talk day after day.
1: God, I pray that you would you would. Keep us from becoming that. Heavenly
0: Father, zero in on that space in my life that you know I need movement on to let go of, to change, to renew, to repent of, to... God, help each one of us to rightly respond to you. Lord, we love you. In your name we pray.